Welcome back to Guide Books, the podcast where we talk to booksellers all around the world. My guest today is Alex, co-founder of the first and only bookshop selling new English books in Lisbon, Portugal, Salted Books. This conversation was yet another proof, in case you needed one, that women can indeed do it all. Alex started Salted Books with her partner Mark, and she has done so without giving up her other work and while raising two children. She's created a magical space that only opened its doors about five months ago, but has already received raving reviews from readers and writers in Lisbon. And if you head over to their Instagram page, I think you'll see why. The book curation couldn't be more relevant, the design of the space is bold and beautiful, and it just feels so fresh and exciting and like you just want to be there. Alex is also hosting intimate and very safe writing spaces, where early on a Tuesday morning, writers come together to write in silence by candlelight. She's bringing new voices to Lisbon and encouraging those in Lisbon to write more and get creative. This conversation felt encouraging and uplifting, and it confirmed a suspicion I've had for a while now interviewing bookshop owners all around the world, that starting and running a bookshop is a bit of an art form, and in that, there's a lot of artistic freedom. Here's my conversation with Alex. Good morning, Alex, and welcome to God Books. Tell me a little bit about your kind of brand new bookshop. Good morning. Yeah, I'm sat in my bookshop, which sounds so strange to say. I never thought <laughs> I'd have a bookshop. We are in a part of Lisbon called Santouche that mm -hmm. has lots of English speakers. And we are an English language only bookshop, mainly because that's the language I speak and read in. And... There are many bookshops in Lisbon. There's some mad fact that there are more bookshops in Lisbon per capita than any other city in the world. I think Melbourne is second. Is that true? Yeah, and you do notice that once, what well, now I've tuned into that fact, I start seeing these bookshops mm. all the time. And that Lisbon is full of beautiful bookshops. But there wasn't one that sold English language books in the kind of abundance that I missed from London. I moved here four years ago and... I mean, I love Lisbon. I kind of fell in love with it straight away, like cobbled streets and pastel colors. And I like the culture feels really respectful and there's a lovely pace and they love children. And I have two young kids and life kind of felt immediately easier here. But there was one thing that I missed and that was the bookshops of East London. And actually I missed the written words, you know, in a language mm. that I could understand fluently. And so... I guess two years after being here, I started to dream about, like, could we open a bookshop? Is it just mad? And as we were coming out of the pandemic and lockdown, it started to, like, solidify as an idea of noticing how, especially being locked here during that time and not able to visit, or, you know, many people couldn't visit their home countries. So couldn't get that hit of culture in the language that they're fluent in. And then I heard about, an Italian bookshop here that was doing really well. I thought, okay, if an Italian bookshop can open in Lisbon. Um, and it, whenever I heard about it, it had a really lovely community around it. And I was like, okay, I feel like we could make this happen. And so I started the search for a space, which was long. It took nearly two years to find really? a spot. Okay. Oh, and that was like looking every single day and going to visit places and putting, you know, letters through boxes and visiting council offices to say why is that place empty can like can I not rent it it felt like 
if there was an empty space in London and you were prepared to pay money for it, you could generally get it. Whereas here, there isn't that kind of, this is my, from my perspective of trying, it didn't feel like the absolute capitalist perspective mm-hmm. that, oh, you know, there's money to be made, so we're just going to make it. Some people didn't want the hassle of renting out a space. Um, but eventually we found this old, it was an old laundry, like a dry cleaners was closing and I was on a Zoom call at home and my partner, my boyfriend came running in with a piece of paper that held above his head being like, the laundry uh, is up for rent. And I was so excited that I don't, I always like, how, but how, how do I get it immediately? Because I knew it would just go straight away. So I started ringing every person that I knew remotely in property that could also had a mastery of Portuguese to be able to negotiate like that. And I even ran down and just stood in front of this building of the laundromat being like, I, I don't know what I'm doing here. There was no one in it. It was closed up. But like, how do I just get this this building? Like, I want it. I'm just going to stand here on the phone. So and got a friend, yeah, to ring up and was, I was like, I will take it unseen. I will put the deposit down right now. But you didn't know the space before you had you. I knew this. I knew it. I'd, yeah. I'd had a shirt clean there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I knew it was good. And one of the things I, I first noticed when I saw your bookshop on Instagram was kind of the way it looks. And one of the things we we tend to do on the podcast is to give people a virtual imaginary tour of the bookshop. So I can see a little bit of it behind you. Maybe you can describe it for our listeners. What's, what did you have in mind as you, and did you actually design it yourself? Or, and did you think yeah. of the aesthetics? And what did you think about? What does it look like? Give us a, a little feel for it. And then I'm sure more people will go and check the photos too. <laughs> Okay, so my the bookshop is me and my partner, Mark, and he is an art director and a designer by trade. I'm going to give him the credit for designing it. Oh it's, <laughs> it's in an old building and there's a cobbled pavement outside and it's got these big white barn doors. But then inside it had kind of been stripped of every original feature because it was a, you know, a dry cleaners. So we kind of began completely from scratch. I knew I wanted a really bold colour. I was inspired by Libraria in London. Oh, that's it's, yellow, right? It's bright yellow. Yeah. And every oh, time I, I see a photo of it, it makes me feel warm. And I and it's a lovely space to sit in. And I think books just pop against a bright color. Um, I'm slightly obsessed with covers, which I'm sure we will come to. But I knew I wanted, so I wanted a color. I also, people like photographing books as I feel like people there's a kind of I guess there is a trend isn't there people buying books with great covers and photographing them and kind of them being an accessory I I feel like my customers are reading them but if they're buying them as an accessory I'm down with that too and so I wanted something that made books look great on social media quite frankly and pleasing and made people want to come in and read it because I think the cover is such a big part of that. So we've gone for a really bright blue. But I mean, we went through so many paint samples. I have literally boxes and boxes. When we first painted it, I was like, oh God, does it look like a football locker room or a kid's bedroom? It was quite scary until the books were in here. But you realize that the books are the decoration and books kind Mm -hmm. of make every space. They give it some texture. So it's bright blue, the ceiling, all walls, and we have a bright red accent desks. And then we have lots of curtains, which is a slightly weird um, addition to the bookshop, but we wanted to be able to change the space up and use the space differently and open up 
the space for events. And also, we'll come to this more about money shortly, but we couldn't afford to have walls and walls of books. Each meter space of books is probably £2,000. So yeah, we had to like cut it off. So we've got a curtain that we're hoping to like, we can increase the space the more money mm. we make. Is and it a then, big space? How how large is the whole bookshop? 60 square meters. Okay. So it's not huge, total. but I can see what you mean that if you have to put books everywhere and every single available we, wall, it's it goes a bit <laughs> out of budget. Yeah. 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 And then what was the other thing that was really important to me was face out walls. So books facing outwards. Um, and we've got this one big, I call it the kind of gallery wall. And to be able to, if you're a book and you're going to get onto that wall, you've got to have a really good cover and you've got to have really good words inside. I'm quite fussy about what books are on the front. And it's it's literally just a huge grid. It can probably, it holds about 120 books face out. It's done what I wanted it to do. People photograph themselves in front of it all the time. There's always somebody having a little photo shoot in the shop, which I quite enjoy. I mean, they take their time. They do outfit changes sometimes. And then the kids section, again, is all fa- mostly face-out books because that's how kids choose books. They, they pick them up mm. and it goes all the way to the floor so that they can reach them. And we've got a little tiny corner with some cushions that so kids can sit down. And we've also got chairs dotted around. I'm really happy for people to come and sit in here and read you know, I was buying books online for a long time living in Lisbon before. And there are there are bookshops that have a small English language selection. Beautiful bookshops here as well. But yeah, I was often buying them online. And it meant that I was often buying books that were kind of sold to me by some influencer or some someone had a celebrity friend that had given them a quote that then it does really well online and it arrived. And I was like, I would never have left the bookshop with this book. I would have read the first paragraph and I would have known or I would have held it and you can get a sense when you hold a book and you just flick through it. And whenever somebody asks for a recommendation, I'm always like, read the first page, like sit down and have a moment with it and you will know whether you're going to continue that this is the book for you. Hmm. So I'm very up for people opening the book. Yeah, or even just like opening it in the middle, read a random paragraph. Totally. Like we have a customer who always reads page 69. Um, (laughs) But then she will come to the counter with like five books and she's like, page 69 on each of these is great. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's a brightly coloured, it's quite dark space actually. We've got to rely on, we have multiple lamps um, and spotlights around the shop. So you kind of feel held by it, it's quite cosy. And then most importantly, in the middle is a large, I say a farmhouse table, we had it built but I wanted to make sure there was a space that we could sit around it because I kind of imagine we might do book clubs, but we're not doing book clubs, which I can tell you why in a moment. But what we do, like this morning, we had writer's hour. It's free. We begin at 8 a.m. We end at 9 a.m. We sit and write in silence together. There's no sharing of work, but we set intentions. We go around the table and each person says what they're going to do, and that's really for them. And then we write by candlelight and some classical music playing it's as nauseating as you can imagine but it it gets work done yeah I can imagine because writing can be quite a daunting thing to do on your own and and there's no pressure to read out loud what you read what, what you wrote no, at the end no. okay that's good 
I love hearing the story because as I shared with you just before we started the recording, the reason why I might sound a little echoey is because I'm in a very empty space that I've just rented to turn into a bookshop. So everything you're saying, I can relate to. We moved here two years ago in Spain. There's no uh, English bookshop anywhere nearby. I think the closest one is about an hour away since we're also in a village. And I have the same kind of craving for actual physical books in English, which is the, the language that I read in. So I can, yeah, I am definitely related so much. And I have taken some inspiration from how you set your space for how we're going <laughs> to set this one up, <laughs> including going for a bold color and having the books face face the readers, really. And um, so I really, really like everything you said. And I'm so glad that we're having this conversation now as I'm about to do all this work. <laughs> it feels like very, very inspiring. One of the fears that I have in starting my own bookshop, and I think it's shared by many people who dream of a bookshop, is I guess this idea that that it's it's a very risky business financially, right? And especially if you have a job like I do and you know it's comfortable enough and you have regular income, it feels very risky to say I'm going to leave all that to do this thing that many people say just won't work because everyone is buying their books on Amazon or, or because, you know, people don't read as much anymore or whatever reasons you know, are popular nowadays to say that bookshops don't work. So I know you also have this initiative of sharing your numbers very openly on social media with people about how much it costs to set up the bookstore and then how much money you make every month. Can we talk a little bit about that? Because since this experience is so fresh for you, I feel like it's even more relevant than, than talking to booksellers that maybe started a bookshop 10, 15 years ago, when times were a little bit different and Amazon was maybe not so big in our lives. So yeah, maybe you can share a little bit first for you personally, how, how did you make this decision? What were you doing before? And did it feel natural to transition into this or did it feel like a leap of faith? And then we can get into the practicalities and the financial aspects of, of opening a bookshop and now running it for a few months. Yeah, I'm really happy to be open about the numbers because it helps others. And it also means that I get access to conversations with other people where they're honest with me. So I think, yeah, transparency is always good. First thing I would say is I'm still doing everything I was doing before. I did take a few months off my day job, but I wouldn't open a bookshop for the money to make yep. money. And I would accept that you probably have to continue to earn money in different ways as well. So it's like additive, I guess. The initial investment was totaled up to about 43,000 euros. So we got the space. And as I was trying to put a business plan together, it kind of felt like how Stephen King describes writing about unearthing a dinosaur. Like you can't just dig it up. You kind of like find the bone and then you've got to like brush away all the dust. And it's like slowly conversation by conversation, I would discover something new about how to run a bookshop and the finances. And so when everyone kept saying, but do you have a business plan? I was like, I don't because I can't yet. I would literally be making it up. And I emailed all of my favorite bookshops in the UK in East London, where well, I emailed three of them and ended up having a really great conversation with Amy from Flocks Books in Leighton. And she had um, a price list for how much it would cost to access her per hour to help, you know, talk me through. <laughs> like I call her the bookshop consultant. That is a title that I've given her. 
but it was absolutely invaluable. So I paid upfront four hours, I think it was £60 per hour, was the best money I spent in this process. And the first thing, first question she asked, she was like, okay, talk me through how you're financing this. And I think she wanted to make sure, this was before she agreed to work with me, that I wasn't going to say, so I've got no money and I'm hoping to make all my money by selling stock. She was very firm that you have to have money in the bank for those first couple of months where much more is going out than is coming in and how often new businesses fail because you can't restock quick enough. Um, Even now, so our money from the weekend doesn't come in until 4.30 on a Monday. And Monday is now when I do my book ordering and I have to order everything by five o'clock. So I have like half an hour where I'm checking the bank account every minute and it's only the moment it comes in and then I have to pay. Often I'm paying at like 4.59 and then we'll have to email our suppliers, be like, I paid, please can they get sent? <laughs> and I think the, they have a very strict cutoff that is something like 5.03 p.m. So, you know, even now yeah, it's yeah. like the money has to be there for me to buy the next set of books. So it was 43000 And Amy and I did these calculations to work out my like, what was minimum numbers I would have to sell just to be able to pay the rent of the building, all the costs that, are there whatever you do, you know, the electricity, the water, the internet, the licenses to play music in store, to have a sign outside, all of those things. And we worked out that it'd have to be 17 books a day. And it doesn't Amy sound was like, like a lot, no? It doesn't it sound like reasonable. a lot, exactly. Yeah. And I, I was like, but. okay. <laughs> and Amy was like, well, you know, sometimes like, she's like, let's be realistic. There are many bookshops in the UK that do not sell. 17 books a day and sometimes people have days when they sell no books which is like you have to be prepared for that but she's like but I feel like you know on a Saturday you could sell 50 books and so you'll probably have to and she's like and you'll have to hustle to get to be supplying schools I was like okay we can do this and if I treat it as my working space and if it gives me the things I want in a bookshop to give me which was not only access to the books I want but a community of writers and readers and people to discuss writing and reading with. Like that was the other thing that I was really missing. And so we went ahead and now we are selling much more than 17 books a day. Um, gosh, I, can't, I think it's probably on a good day. We sell at about 80. Yeah. I think that's probably the average number. Yeah. It feels yeah. People are coming in and buying books. We are in a really unique position though, and it could change very quickly. One, Amazon is not that fast here. So we have access to Amazon Spain for next day, but not every book is on Amazon Spain. It doesn't always arrive. And the books often arrive quite battered from Amazon. And then all the books I used to be ordering came from Saudi, which also made me feel a bit, just kept thinking about these air miles. They would have began in the UK, those books. They would have been shipped to Saudi and then shipped here. And so we are not competing with same day, next day, Amazon service, which bookshops in London are. It also means, but also all of our books come from the UK. So we we can't offer next day orders, for instance, everything. All of your books come come from the UK, right? Yeah. Yeah. And does that affect, because of Brexit, does that affect how you have to price the books because of shipping? Yes. Yeah. So we sell everything at the recommended retail price that we're given which is 42% less, 42% more rather than what we pay for it. There's occasionally I have to 
make a book more and that's because I will be paying 80% of the recommended retail price and therefore it's impossible to to ship yeah. it and not sell it at a loss unless I put the price up but I'd say 95% if not like 97% are sold at recommended retail price mm-hmm. in the store and then what what has changed then for European booksellers that sell English books like you after Brexit what's the difference I, I imagine that it was very easy before Brexit. And then I imagine there was an absolute hell that I'm really glad I didn't own a bookshop for during the Brexit time. And now I've joined it when my suppliers have worked out ways. They essentially get shipped, from what I understand, they get shipped to Paris or you know to France where there is some customs thing. And so maybe then I'm technically buying them within the EU. Right, from the they, okay, but they, right. But all I need to know is that they handle the customs and it's all above board. Yeah. And I I don't have to ever have a conversation with customs, which... Got it. And that's because you buy new books, right? So you would... I buy I would brand imagine. new books. Yeah, yeah we so don't... You would work with bigger distributors. and Because I think maybe secondhand books would have been even more affected because in that case... Mm-hmm. Right, okay. We don't sell secondhand books. Mm-hmm. And people I keep don't. asking me to, and I'm like, I'm just not interested. I like new books. So <laughs> They smell um, differently. <laughs> Yeah, and I have a friend who's like, you have to stick to what you love. And it's like, nothing pleases me more than reading a book before it's come out. <laughs> like that's, you know, yeah, yeah, where my passion lies. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, sorry, I should probably continue with the finances. So it cost 43000 and a lot of that was carpentry and painting. Uh, it was deposits up front for the rent. So actually, I say it it was a 43000 investment. You know, some of that, like... 6,000 of that is in a rental deposit, but it's still money I can't access and still money we had to have beforehand. And then the book stock, to to stock it, we spent 10,000 in the first initial. I think we've probably now got more like 14,000 euros worth of stock. How many books would that be roughly? How many books would you have? 2,000. Okay. Yeah, and there's still shelves that are, are empty that we can't afford to stop but we have um a really because we are selling hundreds of books per week you know 400 to 500 books we have new stock arriving twice a week and so rare there's not many books here i'd say a, a small percentage are sitting on the shelves waiting to be bought they tend to like are mm-hmm. churn change pretty quickly yeah yeah it's high so, so tell me a little bit about that because that also seems like something that's hard for a new bookseller to do or to get into that rhythm of stocking, restocking, knowing what to buy, figuring out how, you know, at this pace of once a week, twice a week orders, how do you make those those decisions? Because you can't possibly be reading everything. <laughs> I'm not reading everything. Although if I've read it and I've liked it, it will be in this bookshop. Yeah. I, I mean, it's the bit of the job that I enjoy most is actually again the bookshop consultant Amy I was like so how long will it take me to you know choose my initial stock she was like it will take you weeks and weeks and weeks and enjoy every minute of it like this is not the bit of the job to rush through or think you can just do it in an evening and even now and who knows who knows if this will wane and it's because we're only you know we're not even six months old yet I am ordering books every day I'm not pressing buy because I I like mm-hmm. fill my basket slowly but all week I will be reading the New York Times and I'll be like oh my god we need to stop that and I'll be listening to a podcast and someone will recommend a book and that will get added to the list luckily I'm 
good at it. I didn't know that I would be good at this, but I, I think I have good taste in books. People are buying the books. People enjoy the curation. Every single day, numerous customers say, the curation is brilliant. Thank you so much. And it's so lovely to hear because that's where the work is going into it. And it's the enjoyable work. Like curating something is quite a beautiful practice. It feels like a craft and it stopped me online shopping. It's taken away my other addiction, which was definitely there. And channeling it all into curation. I really like tuning into the publishing world and what's, you know, the trends. And I worked in women's magazines for a short time and realized actually how much of editorial is driven by the books that are being published. You'll often notice it's authors that have a book out that month that are writing the big articles for the big magazines or it's like the part of the publishing cycle. And I listen to podcasts and I read. I'm not a huge music fan in that if I'm going to listen to something, I'm probably going to be listening to an audiobook rather than the latest album. So I guess it's just it's my hobby. I yeah. think it has to be part of your hobby. Rather you, you just saw it as work. Yeah. And annoyingly So most bookshops are probably plugged into a bookshop ordering system where they can see the books they've got on order, the books that are in stock um, and and upcoming releases all in one place. That's what's been explained to me. I don't have that because we had to go with Shopify because it's the only thing that will connect to the Portuguese tax system that we can also understand. So I, annoyingly, my partner is always like, this can't go on forever, Alex. It's all in my head. I'm kind of like, I know what books are arriving. And it's probably quite frustrating for my booksellers and it's probably frustrating for my partner. And if I ever am really ill, it might be a little bit of a nightmare. But mm. essentially right now, I hold all the knowledge. You own it. What... <laughs> yeah, and that's the way, and it, at least in that way, it's enjoyable. Mm. But do you think, I mean, I'm sure, you, yeah, you own all the knowledge and I would imagine that with time, you also get kind of just a feel for books, maybe even based on, The cover, the publisher, the author. Yeah, who's reviewed, like, you know, there are are gaps in my curation and customers tell me that (laughs) and it's definitely skewed. And I, everyone said, you know, Amy from Phlox told me this and other books, you know, you listen to, I'm sure you hear this from other booksellers that independent bookshops are only as good as the booksellers, like the people selling the books and choosing the books. And I now understand that, it is entirely based on taste, the curation. There's also notable for the books that we don't sell. So I don't stock Colleen Hoover, not because I have (laughs) any big thing against her. It's just, she doesn't need me to stock her and I don't have any interest in her books. And then I don't stock David. Yeah, I I don't stock David Walliams because I actually really dislike his writing and hate um, my son. I've got an eight-year-old son. He loves David Walliams. He brings him home from the school library all the time, almost to taunt me. We get asked for it all the time. And I don't want to be a gatekeeper of, you know, I have ordered it in for a couple of customers as a direct, not to go on the shelves, but as a direct order. Uh, but I I find him, I think he's fattest and mean. He's got this hold on the children's market when there are so many books to read and so many other brilliant authors that I'm hoping part of the point of the curation is that it diversifies people's reading that said it's you know I talk about diversifying people's reading it is it's me buying the book so so it's as diverse as it possibly can be (laughs) but I think you're right I mean it has to be based on on the bookseller's taste right otherwise it probably feels very 
very strange selling books that you don't believe are very good or that you feel like you wouldn't read yourself. Yeah, it's interesting that you brought this up because I'm kind of struggling with this now because the place where I'll be opening the bookshop has a very interesting mix population-wise. And there's lots of people here that have come here to retire from England or from other countries in Europe. And I got some advice from booksellers saying, great, you should stock a lot of crime books and a lot of, you know, this is what they'll read. Mm. Well, I don't know. I don't want to believe that this is the only thing. Like we don't have to stereotype necessarily in that way. I'm kind of hoping that if I curate based on my taste and my feel for books, it's very likely that people, even if they are retired, they will read something that's not crime right? or they'll be interested in all kinds of things. And so... Yeah. And, and for me to be selling that, even though it's not a genre that I read, I just don't really see what, what the point of it would be. And not to offend anyone who reads crime books, it's just my own personal opinion. Yeah, um, I think you you have to follow your instincts because, I mean, I've made mistakes in the stocking, in stocking books, you know, and some books will arrive and I'm like, oh, like, I just know the second I see them, that is not going to sell. But also books arrive and I'm like oh that is an ugly book I would never read that and it becomes a bestseller and then I, so you you have uh-huh. to also there's a little bit of listening to your customers and mm-hmm. seeing what is selling you know even over the six well so we opened in September and it's now February so five months that we've been open I've got a sense now of the the subjects people want to lean into and you know to, being topical as well when we began the bookshop Israel and Palestine weren't at war where and they've been a huge they sell those people want those books people want to educate themselves through books um, and asked for them and actually it was through customers coming in and having conversation with me and telling me the authors that they would like to see in here that they really helped grow that that list yeah yeah but I get told all the time where's your fantasy where's your crime section where's your history section and I occasionally order some books about the Roman Empire and in my head I'm like who reads a book about the Roman Empire <laughs> everyone apparently and they sell really well yeah <laughs> wasn't that a, I think there was a meme about that about how often yeah, exactly. men think about the Roman Empire pretty often how many books are in your shop 2000 what was the last book you sold it was Zadie Smith's The Ford if you couldn't sell books anymore, what would you do? Write more. Write my own books. What book are you reading at the moment? I'm reading um, Tremor by Tasha Cole. And a final question. What is your second favorite bookshop? Oh, um, <laughs> okay. It's a, it's a tie between Burley Fisher on Kingsham Road I'm just going to have to name my little triangle of bookshops in East London. That's okay, that's okay. (laughs) Burley Fisher on Kingsland Road, Broadway Market Books and Flocks in Leighton. I want to ask you something that might be just more my own personal interest. And if if you don't want to talk about this, we don't have to. But because you mentioned you're still doing what you were doing before starting the bookshop, right? And that's kind of my plan too, because I have a full-time job that also requires traveling sometimes. And I also have a kid, so I could relate to a lot of what you're saying. And I'm just wondering, how like, how do you do it? How do you organize your days, your weeks to get all of this done? Because 
again, I think for many wannabe booksellers, one of the daunting parts of even thinking of opening a bookshop is, oh God, I'm going to have to drop everything I'm doing and I'm going to have to fully do this bookshop and depend financially on it. And there can be nothing else because there just won't be time for anything else. And one of the things I've decided for myself is that I can't do that. I don't have that kind of risk-taking approach where I could drop everything that's stable in my life to do this, at least not now when my daughter's two. <laughs> you know. Um, so I'm just personally curious how, how you do it, if you want to talk about that a bit, oh, if that's okay. So both my partner and I have other jobs. Luckily, we are selling enough books that we realized pretty quickly we could hire booksellers. So, you know, it's not just me and my partner manning the till every day. I'd say I work probably two days a week behind the till. The rest of the time we have booksellers, maybe maybe more. There's been weeks when I will work five days a week if I'm, you know, I'm freelance, so my work is up and down. The beautiful thing about having a bookshop is everyone wants to work for you. Everyone wants to work in a bookshop. It's many, many people's dreams. We had so many people apply for the booksellers role. We got... The, I mean, two neuroscientists applied for it. It was slightly mad. And we now have a novelist who, oh, he's incredible. His book's coming really soon called Grow Where You Fall. It's called Michael Donkor. Like, I never thought I'd get that level of writer wanting to come and work. And then we have Benny and Maria, who Benny's writing her master's on bookshops and books as an object you know and is very much obsessed with books and so and Maria was the first reader I met here in Lisbon so I feel very lucky that I'm surrounded so good staff is one way but obviously that eats into the profit hugely so I have to accept that when I have staff working probably not making that much profit that day really it kind of goes into the bookshop just existing so ultimately how I do it is I it's a hobby I have to see it as the, it's an additive in my life that I got to sit here and have writer's hour with fellow writers in, in my bookshop this morning. I'm really excited about planning an event, but it's kind of become my social life as well. I really need to check in with some friends, actually. And I'd be lying if I didn't say it affected me and my partner. It's probably the hardest bit of our relationship has been setting up this bookshop. Because it does just, it, it eats time. And we're through it now and we're both so thankful for the space. But it's hard when, it, it felt like another family member. And my kids still mm. say, like my two-year-old goes, no, 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 mommy, don't go bookshop. No, 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 no bookshop. And my son is like, Ugh, can you two stop talking about the bookshop? It's so boring. And I'm like, oh, you're meant to be, you know, People will stop like at the school gate will be like, oh, do you love that your mummy's open a bookshop? And he's like, no, it's just really boring. I'm like, shush for the lifestyle. We need to promote you, you know, and he'll come in here and ask for the iPad. Well, I'm like, no, read in the corner, make us look <laughs> good. But yeah, it's taken, there's no denying that, mm, takes the that everything yeah. it's given us. And I believe it is giving us more than it's taking, but it takes, yes. Mm. And it can feel a bit like community service sometimes. And actually on that, I think it's really worth talking about. I have, and this is partly privilege that I have other income streams. Income streams, like no passive income stream. Like I have to work for my other, you know, I have to do it, put in a day's work. And the way I make money is I write for brands. And then I also am trying to write a book that will make me no money and then, and then have the bookshop. So I have realized that if I'm going to spend time earning money, 
it's not worth me spending more time on the bookshop to up the income of the bookshop a little bit more, which sounds counterintuitive, but if I'm going to spend time doing work that I don't want to do, I'd rather write for brands, which I've done for 20 years, I'm good at, I can do, I can deliver good work and I can get paid a decent day rate in comparison to book selling. Everyone says, oh, well, you could sell coffee or you could do book ordering or sell books online or start doing deliveries. I don't want to serve coffee. That is not why I open a bookshop. I'm not interested in coffee. I think to serve good coffee, you've got to be obsessed about coffee in the way that I'm obsessed about books. And for the amount of effort that I'd have to put in to make you know, an extra 20 euros of book orders that day, I don't want to do that. So I'm actually at the moment having a, a conversation daily in my head and with my partner and with the booksellers and working out customer orders because curating feels like craft and I enjoy the process. You know, it feels like discovery. It's like a research project. Whereas individual orders is drop shipping. I mean, it's how, and if, if I was in London and I was competing with Amazon, I would have to do that. And many booksellers are so grateful for all those individual orders. So I don't, I'm only speaking for myself and my situation here. But I, at the moment, I realize that I'm spending like 70% of my day on 2% of customers. And yeah, I'm wondering about maybe not doing customer orders anymore. But then I don't, it's really hard to say no to people. <laughs> yeah, when they come and ask you in person, it would be very hard to, to say, no, I it's, don't do that. It's, yeah. It's really difficult. But at the same mm-hmm. time, I kind of want, I, that these two ladies came in the other day and they said, oh, we used to have a bookshop. Uh, we're so thrilled you've opened. And I said, oh, you know, we were talking about their bookshop. They were probably like, 20 years older than me so I was definitely looking to them as in like tell me (laughs) about life as well as how to run a bookshop and I was like oh I'm having a real crisis about book orders today and they just they were like don't do it just don't do it love you do what you love it costs you money and I was like yeah but I'm still not there in saying no to customers but I am wondering how I communicate kindly that I have set this bookshop up to get offline I've set it up as a browsing space that you can come in and touch books. I am not set it up to be Amazon for Portugal. I don't want to be standing in the queue at CTT with a pipe. Posting books is really difficult. Packing them up so they don't get <laughs> yeah, bent corners. It's a lot of work. Yeah. It, it's like a whole other business stream that yeah. me as one person and my partner, we just don't have the time in the day. And then also answering emails and DMs. I've been called out a couple of times for being rude. I'm like, I just can't answer. You know, we get hundreds. I think, you know, that's absolutely fine if that's the intention with which you've set up the bookshop for it to be a physical community space where readers come or writers come and not to be this next digital business. I think you are right that it's probably kind of a privileged position to be in, to have another income stream that supports you in doing that. And maybe a lot of booksellers feel like they just need to do all of these things that you mentioned because they have to keep their bookstores alive and there's just no other way to do it, especially if they're in countries where they compete with Amazon. There's definitely a theme that's kind of come across many of the conversations I've had on God Books that you have to sell coffee, you have to sell other things because the margin is so low on books that if you don't do that, you risk having to close your shop. And then you kind of, not necessarily that you compromise your initial (laughs) dream of a bookshop, but 
you have to complement it with something to make sure that it stays in business, which I think is fair enough. But if you can decide not to do that, I also think like with everything else in life, if you stand by compl- your principles. I, yeah, or I complement it with my other work. Right, exactly. And that's how it ultimately, if you're opening up a bookshop and you don't just have a passive income stream, there is going to be some compromise. And I'm not saying Absolutely, you're yeah. making an absolute loss, but right now, you know, we haven't made back what we invested yet. Yeah, yeah. So ultimately, yeah, we are at a loss, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, I think you're right. Some, somewhere you have to complement it in some way. And from all the bookshops that I've uh, had on guidebooks, there's one that has closed in the meantime. Mm-hmm. And that was the only one that I can think of. I'm pretty sure it was the only one that refused to sell anything but books in the shop. But there was no other income stream to support that bookshop. And it was small and it was children's books only. And it was not on a high street. So there were not that many favorable conditions for it. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, after a few years, it, it had to close because financially it just was not sustainable in any way. So things that I am passionate about, like education and writers, providing a space for writers to come together and people to learn craft skills. So we began a writing course with Michael, who has also been a teacher for 15 years as well as a as a brilliant novelist. And last night we completed so it was a four-week course held on Monday nights and it included workshopping so that you really truly could meet fellow writers and spend time you know critiquing each other's work as well as craft lessons now that as the other income stream I'm really interested in I think there are many ways to go with books it isn't just coffee and I'm excited to see those other like possibly an imprint even though I think that's probably as much of the loss maker as as selling books is but yeah education might be one place that we go direction which is a place that's close to your heart not something that you yeah, want to do exactly. not something so that I you think feel it's... like you have to yeah exactly yeah well this is giving me a lot of hope for what I what I hope this future bookstore ah. will be I want to ask you a little bit about books, but before we do that, mm. and I know you said it's a boring story, but I'm sure it's not. Can you talk a little bit about the name of your bookshop, which I find really cool <laughs> how yeah. you came up with it? So I wanted to be called Lonely Books. I like this idea that these like poor, sad books that you needed, you should take them home and make them your friend. And obviously Lonely Planet, every time we said it to people, people would mention Lonely Planet. And I was like, oh yeah, okay, you have a point. And then my partner, but we were quite stuck with this, like, adjective. And then the word books. I wanted it to say books in English. (laughs) I mean, how many times can I say that word in this podcast as well? Because when you're walking down the street, I wanted you to kind of tune into that. You want to see it, right? I have the same idea. I want to see that that word. Books, because I would get, exactly, (laughs) whenever. I'd go in. (laughs) Yes. If I'm in another city and I see that, that word, I immediately walk towards it. I have to go and look in the window of a bookshop. And it was my partner who just one day turned around and was like, salted books. And his rationale is that we're book merchants. So we're kind of like shipping across the seas, these books. And also it felt like it had some synergy between Portugal um, and the UK. And salt makes everything better. It's kind of like salted is always like, it's a good additive. And then now we have salted rights, the writing courses, and salted events and I can see I could see how it could grow and how you know salted studio salted curation yeah I really like it and then importantly it did seem like no one else was using that 
title. Mm. So yeah, it's yeah, that's and it's just so hard to come up with something. It would feel like it, it felt to me like it would be easier, but then when I started actually thinking about it, I was like, oh, this is so hard. Especially because my my plan would be to have books both in Spanish and English. So I was like, okay, mm. I need a name that can resonate with both Spanish and English speakers. And there's just no such, well, I haven't figured out anything. So anyway, if anyone is listening and has ideas, please let me know. <laughs> I love when I hear about bookshops with book titles as their name. Yeah, that's another, another stream of inspiration ideas. there. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about your book curation, because it does seem to be very particular and very perhaps descriptive of your personality, your interests. That's at least what I've kind of gathered from, what, from what I've seen what, on Instagram. I'm interested in how you, in what your perception of it is, because obviously it's just what I choose. So I don't, I'm not trying to be particular. Yeah, 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 of course. I mean, if I had no idea who was choosing the books and I would just see the books that you've curated, I would think you're someone who's interested in kind of what's new, but not mainstream necessarily like what are voices that are maybe not so popular or not so popular yet um, so I think that's really interesting and that's the value that I would get from an independent bookstore that I'd walk in and see this bookseller knows things that I don't know yet that are bound to be interesting are bound to make me think about something that I haven't thought of and that's my feel of when I see your curation that it would be maybe easier in a way to go for top sellers in London bookshops or or anywhere else and then just select those and I guess maybe sometimes you have books that are very popular but it just feels like the majority are a little bit on the edge you know, you know what's interesting and I've it's only I've only just realized this and hearing you describe but I never look at the bestsellers list I don't think I've ever when I'm ordering looked at the bestseller yeah. list right now Wow, maybe I should actually. <laughs> but <laughs> I so, have heard some booksellers say before that they don't they don't look at the best bestsellers. It's not but even they, occurred to me. <laughs> it doesn't occur to them. But they have chosen books that have later on become bestsellers, which I think must be super satisfying mm -hmm. as a bookseller. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm also a journalist. Is that that's one of the other, yeah one of the other things I do in my day job. So I'm, I'm interested in zeitgeist topical books that are starting conversations at the moment. It's why there's probably a lot of books about open relationships and non-monogamy. It feels, you know, you, it's in the air around us. It's in the newspaper headlines. Yeah. Then there will probably be books about it in my store if it's kind of making press. So I like the latest fiction reads. I air towards literary fiction. I don't read crime or fantasy, although I have trusted readers now in my circle of people who I go to for recommendations. So I have friends that will give one. I, I did a thing called curated shelves with different experts in their field, and they each curated like a shelf of books of like six to seven recommendations. So Aja Barber, who wrote the book, consumed and she's like the per, you know, our anti-fast fashion warrior of today. She's amazing. And she fights for fairness in that industry. And she did a brilliant curation, which introduced me to some really big bestsellers that I hadn't actually stopped, you know, Bernie Sanders um, and Naomi Klein, like obvious ones, but sometimes you need to go to people for them because it's hard to 
have every single obvious book. Um, well, I think especially about the obvious ones, because it could be obvious because it just became very popular. It could be obvious because it's really good. Because it's but... actually a really good book. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. so I, I trust, I have people who I've looked to them in the past for book recommendations. And I went to them when I was first stocking. was like, I want to know like the 20 fiction books that are on your shelves that you would like press into the hand of a friend to read. Tell me them. So it's new, new literary fiction there is chosen classics especially if they're coming into conversation at the moment or they've just stayed part of the conversation you know and, and there there are authors that I feel are very much becoming like I have a, a list in my suppliers called salted classics and that's got Deborah Levy, Susan Sontag, Rachel Cusk, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, Zadie Smith like those women feel like they form like a big backbone Audrey Lord, and then relationships and anything about sex people there are loads of brilliant new books coming out in that space you know from the obvious like polysecure to sex will be good again or come together it definitely kind of skews female sometimes and I try that's part of like trying to broaden and it's also part of leaning on my booksellers so you know when Michael is working in here his job while he's behind the counter is also to write book recommendations and mm. to tell me what I should be stocking. So that uh, it's more gender balanced. Yeah. And then <laughs> Benny and Maria are younger than me and they definitely steer me towards, I, like, I'm not on TikTok. I may or may not enter it at some point, but you know, they steer me towards like this book is being talked about right now. Or this is trends. a great, yeah. Book yeah. <laughs> trends, they sell books. I know, I heard. I'm also not on, on TikTok, but I hear that. Even if you're uh, not on it, I feel like you need somebody that is in, yeah. your, um, <laughs> in your circle of trust to be like, because there's also awful books being promoted, you know. It's like, and it's, I don't want to say awful books, but there are books that are trending on TikTok and I don't want to stock. And yeah. then there are books that I wouldn't have heard about if it wasn't for my other trusted readers who tell me about them. But yeah, ultimately... If I was going to sum up the collection, zeitgeist, topical, reads relevant to like conversations we're having today. If you were to suggest us three books now that are kind of your your favorites to to sell from the bookshop. Oh, well, this has just come in and I've not, (laughs) and I've not sold a copy yet, but I, I love, I loved Kylie Reed's first book, Such a Fun Age, that was nominated for the Booker, but it was nominated for the Booker and it's also felt like a holiday read and I love books that do you know beautiful writing that flies off the page her new book come and get it I loved it is flawed it's nutty it's about it's a campus novel and normally campus novels you kind of picture Ivy League or Oxbridge but this is a campus novel set amongst students studying like hospitality and hotel management it's about money and pettiness and race relations I mean I genuinely loved it but they have done her so bad with the cover I feel so like how did this cover get signed off and I'm looking at it right now and I know it's not gonna sell without a real push that book which is so annoying because it's just not appealing because of the cover yeah it's this milky green (laughs) with a piggy bank on the front like it's not not gonna work I recommend it to read so go and get it on Kindle, guys. No, don't go and get it at your, lo- your local bookshop. Often the digital covers are better and people come in and they're like, I want the cover with this book and they'll show it me on their iPhone. I'm like, that was never an actual cover. I'm so sorry. 
And then <laughs> I loved Having and Being Had by Ula Biss. It's a non-fiction collection. It's not essays because each chapter is like two pages. So there's like 50 essays if you want in there. And it's about our relationship with the things we buy, our time and our creativity and how we spend money and how we spend time will always intersect in a million ways. She pitches it as like a look at what we invest in, what we invest our passion and our resources in. It's beautiful. Yeah. And then a bestseller, like our bestseller (laughs) this month was Minor Detail. It's told by a Palestinian author about the war on Palestine set 50 years ago. It's published by Fitzcarraldo, which do those beautiful blue covers. Their books last really well. I love their paper stock. They don't flap open, which pleases me as a bookseller. But I, it's amazing. They seem to, they published, you know, four of the Nobel Prize, recent Nobel Prize winners before they were awarded the Nobel Prize. They, they know their, you know, they are out there finding brilliant authors and also lots of books in translation. So books you know that don't originate in the English language translated into English I've not read one of their books and not been blown away thank you those are those are great recommendations um yeah it's always interesting not to see how how trends change in terms of what books are being read depending on what's happening in the world before we we wrap up I would like to ask you for any plans you have for your bookstore any wishes dreams for the next few months anything you're starting up any things you're continuing like the the writers hours anything you want to share with with guidebook listeners i know some of them are in portugal not how many but some so maybe they'd Um, love to know what you plan i mean the writers hour has been such a lovely success i mean there's a small it's only ever 10 to 12 of us um each tuesday morning but it feels really special. I'd love to be able to do more of them, maybe at different times of day. I think the focus now is going to be on this education, helping more people believe that they're writers and access writing as a creative tool. Mm -hmm. And also we get so many people who come to us with their self-published book. And because I am admin phobic, yeah, I'm going to own that. I fucking hate admin. And the more suppliers I have, the harder it, the more admin there is. So I'm really reluctant to just say, and also stocking self-published books comes with its own, like, do I have to check it to make sure that it's it's not gone through the rigor of a publishing house? And I respect the publishing industry and I know what they do to make books as good as possible and to make sure books aren't going to offend people. Or so It's really hard to say yes to all these self-published books. And I was thinking about one, how hard it is to say no, but also how can I best serve? Because people that want to write and want people to read their work. And I think I've had a book published. I worked in publishing in London for a long time. I have lots of friends and connections in the publishing industry. And I'd like to bring as much to that and to make sure that knowledge is is widely shared. So we did a great event with a literary agent called um, Abigail Bergstrom. She's one of the most commercial Age, she gets those big six-figure deals that you read about in the papers for her authors. And she did a t- talk here about how to get an agent and get published. So I think more access to the industry, if I can help, I'd rather do that than say stock a few individual self-published books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And is there a, is there a large community in Lisbon of writers writing yeah. in English? 
Yeah. Yeah. People come to Lisbon to write, you know, okay. compared to London. Yeah, yeah. There's space here. And yeah, I think there yeah. is. It's beautiful. Then they should all come to your writer's hour and write yeah. in silence by candlelight. Everyone's welcome. <laughs> exactly. And to do as many free events as possible. We don't at the moment do book clubs because book clubs by the the best book clubs are really cliquey. Like I love my book club because it's a group of 10 gossiping women. And <laughs> I, I, I want everyone else to go and find their book club and hang out with, but I want to, if I'm going to put the time into it, doing an event because it takes it takes its toll on the books and it takes its toll on the space and on the staff I want to make sure it's as open as possible to as many people yeah for some reason because I also have a book club it's very small and we're just four that are regularly there and then some people come give it a try and then don't necessarily come back Mm -hmm. I think it's because we've kind of formed this little yeah clicky thing but I have tried some book clubs and bookshops in in Dublin and it just never really worked because you don't know the people you you go and it's always a different group and it is very much focused on let's talk about the book which I guess is a good thing but in a <laughs> in a regular book club you talk a little bit about the book and then you talk about life I think <laughs> I'm just not thing. there yet yeah to I think it takes a really good host to host yeah. a book club especially for a big group of strangers and I I just I ha- I haven't felt it in me yet that I've got mm. that. Well, I'm sure you do when you'll decide to do it. It definitely mm-hmm. feels like you'd be a good host. Alex, thank you very much for this conversation today. I feel like I'm readier than I was before to start my own bookshop after after hearing you speak it's so about exciting. yours. Exciting! <laughs> I love you see- I love seeing you in your empty space. I love <laughs> so it. I love so hearing empty. about pe- people opening bookshops. I mean, people are buying books. Like we do know that. Hmm. I do feel like it's an act of courage in a way, you know, to just say, okay, I'm just going to do it and then I'll see what happens. But like you, I also feel I'll keep my job. I'll keep my other income stream. You know, I'll do it the safe way, but ultimately there's no right or wrong way of opening a bookshop. You do it how, how it feels right to you. So exactly. that's, that's why my takeaway from ah, this conversation. That's nice. Yeah. <laughs> thank you very much. Alex. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to That Books today. If this podcast brings you some joy, makes you feel closer to the world of books and bookshops, please share it with just one friend that you know will appreciate it. We'll be back soon with more bookseller conversations. Until then, sit back, relax, and enjoy a good book.